Welcome to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Except this episode. <laughs> and <Yeah>. last episode. <laughs> Not necessarily a debunking type, if you will. Not not everything we, we cover requires debunking. Sometimes it's just reporting a fact. It's awareness, right? Mm. <laughs> it's reporting, hey guys, this happened. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty messed up. Anything that makes us go, that's weird, or that's messed up, is a potential for a topic, um, mm. generally speaking. So without making things too light, because this is definitely not a light topic, um, for those of you who are joining us and have not listened to our part one on um, Jim Jones and People's Temple, uh, stop, go back, listen to the last episode, because this is our part two, focusing on People's Temple and actual Jonestown and what happened in Jonestown. Um, Again, trigger warning, talk of mass suicide, child murder, um, and general cult environment. So if this is a sensitive subject for you, maybe skip it. Um, But also it is just kind of heavy. And this episode will be heavier than the last. So just to give you a bit of a heads up on that. So let's get into it, shall we? All right. So as Kim mentioned in the last episode, uh, and actually Tim Carter, one of the most, or he was a pretty prevalent character in um, Jonestown, People's Temple. He was someone who survived, actually. He actually said, quote, it was like the frog in the pot of water. If you drop him in the water that's already boiling, he'll try to hop right out. But put him first in a pot of lukewarm water and then turn up the heat little by little, and he'll stay in the pot even though he's finally being boiled to death. End quote. So Kim mentioned that last episode. I had to bring it back for this one because at this point where we have left off, the water is just starting to boil. So we're going to go back really quick. I know when we ended the last episode, it was off to Guyana. But there are a couple of um, bits of context I wanted to provide before going into that. So before heading to Jonestown, In Guyana, there was some shady shit going on at People's Temple, to say the least. Hmm. Um, There were actually specific hints at a future suicide mission that not a lot of people reference. And it happened in a sermon in September in 1975. Jones said, quote, I love socialism and I'd die to bring it about. But if I did, I'd take a thousand with me, end quote. He later added, quote, a good socialist does not fear death. It would be the greatest reward he could receive, end quote. Individual suicide was wasteful to Jones, but mass suicide that sent a message of defiance and that encouraged future generations to fight oppression to the death was admirable. But he had to test it. He had to test it out and see what happened. So he did. There were two different occasions where he tested this out. And this entire instance reminds me so strongly of Midnight Mass. So if you have seen Midnight Mass, this is something that seems familiar. If you haven't seen Midnight Mass, go watch it. It's great. Um, Also, if you don't want to, that's fine too. Um, But in this particular instance, this test um, happened where 
Jones told his followers to drink wine that was passed out to them at church in a styrofoam cup. And they all did, thinking it was just wine and it was a special occasion because they never drank wine. So they all drank it. And afterwards, he told them that they had been poisoned and would be on the precipice of death within 45 minutes. Mm. Some people freaked out, started wailing with their knowledge of their impending doom, while others sat quietly and just waited, dedicating their death to their cause. And then Jones says, J.K. Lowell's just wanted to see what y'all would do. There was no poison in that wine. You're all going to be fine. Mm. Nice guy. Real nice guy. Um, that's got to really mess with your head. <laughs> yeah. And he did it twice. Yeah. And one of the survivors said, yes, we proved that we were willing to die. But what that night really proved was that Jones already had the intention or at least was considering the possibility that at some point he would kill us all. End quote. So prior to Jones and his people's temple escape from the U.S. to Guyana, Jones had done his homework to make sure that this was the right place for him and his people. He knew the way he was functioning with People's Temple in San Francisco wasn't sustainable and that the government would eventually come for him. So he needed a place to go to escape. And Guyana was the place to go. Forbes Burnham was elected prime minister of Guyana in 1964, and he was a socialist, which made Guyana a really appealing place for Jones. And if you look at it ethnically, Guyana was 40% black and 50% East Indian, which was a result of Britons importing workers from another colony. And because it was a British colony, the main language spoken, the national language, was English. So it was kind of like this perfect location for what would accept his wide range of individuals that were American that spoke English in this environment. A vast majority of Guyana was covered in dense jungle, though, so it wasn't exactly like an ideal place to go. You'd have to do something about it. But it did provide a perfect location of total isolation for Jones's agricultural mission. This just makes me want to make a bad pun of agricultural. Mm-hmm. Eh? No, that's no. bad. I shouldn't even do it. No. Uh, no, Kim just no. shut it down right no. away. Nope. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> so in 1973, Jones partnered with the Guyanese government in determining where exactly they would land their mission. The Guyanese welcomed Jones because they saw it as an opportunity. It was a group of American people, but they were also socialists, so it was very aligned with their thought process, and they actually figured that these people would bring wealth and tourism to Guyana, so it would support them economically, so they were open to it. Sure. People's Temple also purchased a residence in the Guyanese capital of Georgetown called La Maha Gardens, and it was in an upscale neighborhood could house about two dozen followers. So that was a a place that they would go when they were building out the the place where they would end up. And they ended up in an area right near Matthews Ridge, which was a mining town in the Northwest District. And it had a light rail that ran 35 miles close to Port Kaituma, which had a small airstrip and a dock to the Kaituma River. So the Kaituma River actually, just to give you some perspective on how it was laid out, it connected the town to the Pacific Ocean. So you could access the town by boat or by plane from Georgetown, but that was it. Mm. You couldn't really get there any other way. Um, So you'd have to either fly into Port Kaituma and then 
take a tractor or truck down a dirt road for a while or do a 19-hour boat ride down a river. So isolation definitely was a thing. So in 1974, uh, Jones ended up sending people to clear the place out and build the community and ended up naming it Jonestown and considered it the promised land. And Jonestown always had a plan to only house about 500 to 600 people. And was Jones actually was only planning on bringing them in over a long period of time. He wasn't planning on bringing them all in at the same time. It was meant to happen over about a decade mm. um, and built structures to accommodate that many people. So things like a school, a pavilion, pharmacy, a farm area for agriculture, and everything that a town would basically need to be independent and survive. So Jones had actually hoped that half of the temple's 4,000 to 5,000 members would want to go. So this was going to be a really special thing where he would be able to be picky with who he chose to go to Guyana, and people would really want to have a desirable uh, privilege and consider it a reward if they got chosen to go to Guyana. So he was able to pick some like hardworking people, physically able to sustain um, really insane work hours to maintain that area. And so he had like the cream of the crop of his temple members that he chose to go. The only thing is, is that the New West publication that we talked about at the end of the last episode, that caused Jones to have to rush the people to Guyana way faster than the way that he originally wanted to have them arrive. So um, in May 1977, he ended up rushing 600 people out within weeks um, to Guyana. And the way he did it was really interesting. So because the paranoia was so strong, he had to really identify who he wanted to go and mask how many followers were actually flying into Guyana. So he had people flying out of a multitude of different cities on planes with other members of like four to five people who didn't know each other to keep it anonymous and to not know who was flying when. And so it was really hard for the government to track down. So Jones thought that's why he did it. So like paranoia was super strong because truly that wasn't even happening. So now I mentioned in order to get to Jonestown, it was quite a a trek. So you'd have to take that plane into Georgetown and then from Georgetown, either take a flight into Port Kaituma or a 19 hour boat ride down the river most people took the 19-hour boat ride. So it was a struggle. It was not easy for a lot of people to get there. But when they arrived, they were welcomed by song and members who were already there, super excited. It was a privilege to be there. Sidebar, I found out that they released an album and you can listen to it on Spotify, which is wild. Um, So People's Temple... Look it up if you're curious for a creepy sing-along. That's truly what that is. I'm not going to play it here for copyright purposes. Um, But when members arrived, uh, they were welcomed by song. But too many people in a short period of time came. It wasn't anticipated properly. So there was a bit of a problem. There were too many people in a small space. And there area was not anywhere near sustainable yet. So they ran out of food really quickly. They weren't really eating very well, but working super hard. People were malnourished. And ultimately, Jones knew it wasn't sustainable. They worked long days, started at 5 a.m., worked until late at night, six days in a row, all felt like they were doing something for the greater good as good socialists to help each other out. But I mean, Jones still was Jones. You can't change a person. He actually just got worse. And he became a control freak once again. He had to open every piece of mail that came in. All the outgoing mail was censored. 
If anyone talked about Jonestown negatively, it had to be ultimately changed into positive descriptions of Jonestown that was dictated by Jones himself. And he, of course, had the best quarters and facilities. He even had a loudspeaker that he would preach on day and night, and his drug usage got worse. I was to say, yeah, it didn't help that he was, like, getting heavier and heavier into the drug use at this point. And physically heavier, too. Like, yeah. he he just kind of blew up. And he also would, when he was talking in the loudspeaker, would just start to mumble and, like, have incoherent words. And there's some recordings of it that are just wild to hear. So if you want to look them up, feel free. Um, but he would do these speeches late at night and then would run sirens through those um, speakers in the middle of the night, too. So these poor people... We're working these really insane days, not getting fed well, and then not being able to sleep because their druggy leader was, was like yelling at them incoherently over the night. Like, does not sound ideal. Um, so there were also main meetings in the main pavilion where Jones lounged in his chair in front of a sign that today, ironically, reads, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it, end quote. Technically, it's a misquote from philosopher George Santayana. It didn't stop there. People who didn't follow directions or do anything that Jones didn't like were punished. He actually created a team of people called the quote-unquote learning crew. And they upheld rules for rule breakers and basically forced them to sleep and eat separately from everyone. If they had to go anywhere, they had to run from point A to point B every single time. And they weren't allowed to talk to anyone at all. And anyone who did anything really bad got to go in the box, which you did not want to go into What's the in the box? What's in the box? Literally, he would tell people that there were like scorpions and wild shit inside the box. Like Ew. it was... Stuff of horror films, basically. Hmm. So, you know, we mentioned how Jones looked a little wild. He, in the past, could hide behind his facade in San Francisco. You know, he had an infinite source of followers he could gain. He was in a good spot. But in Jonestown, not only were his people isolated, but he was isolated. He was stuck with the same group of people. So he couldn't get a bunch of new followers. And his source of, you know ability to not be seen his hideout if you will was not super opaque so people could see him doing all the fucked up shit that he was doing and see that he was kind of losing it a bit but people still had faith faith in him and they still even though they saw that he was definitely out of it on drugs and gaining a bunch of weight they saw him for who he was, and they noticed that he was off. Some people supported him still, and others started to question things. And Jones, I think, noticed that and would encourage kids to tell on their parents if they did something wrong, and that's why they had that learning crew kind of keeping people in line. So he started asking his leadership, quote, how can we still succeed in terms of history? And instead of asking how to maintain and sustain he asked, quote, how do we show the world what a truly committed group of people would do if they are threatened with the disintegration of their community, end quote. That is a scary thought. Yeah. <laughs> the environment ultimately became pretty repressive, similar to a concentration camp. People couldn't trust anyone at all. Uh, they didn't know who they could tell how they actually felt to. And if anyone was asked, how's Jonestown? The answer always was positive and wonderful. It's great. 
And if you tried to get away, you had to get through the jungle first and past armed guards as well. Like, it just wasn't a great situation. And then go back to San Francisco. Relatives and friends of People's Temple coined themselves Concerned Relatives. It was a group called Concerned Relatives. And those were people that weren't just um, relatives and friends. They were people who were actually, some of them were from People's Temple and who defected, who left. Mm -hmm. And um, they were having no luck getting through to their family members and friends that they reached out to who were in People's Temple and didn't know what to do. So... Grace Stowen was someone who I mentioned on the last episode. She had a son named John Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, her husband was Tim Stone. He was Jones's lawyer for a bit. And mm-hmm. her son, John Victor, was a product of her relationship with Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. John Victor was under the custody of Jones, and Grace wanted him back. Mm-hmm. John Victor represented the ability for anyone stateside to bring any child back to America. And so Jones knew that he could not give up that that fight at all. The custody battle had become active. And in September 1977, Jones talked about an invasion to the People's Temple members. He said, quote, they're coming for us and for our children, end quote. He armed people with shovels, axes, guns, got his people super riled up so Mm. that they were going to fight for their children against the Guyanese army. And then nothing, nothing happened. So he sent everybody to bed. And he did this every night for six nights. Jeez. And nothing happened. So people thought that they were literally going to die at any minute constantly for like a week Mm. without anything happening, which psychologically would fuck you up pretty bad, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not bad already, (laughs) add that on to it. Yikes. So... Jones then tells them that it was actually the Guyanese coming after them. And ultimately, it wasn't. It was just a custody battle that the temple members just didn't know about. And ultimately, the Guyanese dropped the charges on Jones for the custody uh, battle. So it just got dropped and nothing came of it. And so... Jones began talking again about revolutionary suicide, that if they couldn't stay together because of their enemies, they would die together in order to show loyalty to one another. At one point, he even took a vote with 400 people at the pavilion of who would want to take part in revolutionary suicide. Guess how many people raised their hand? All of them. Three people. Wow. (laughs) Only three people raised their hands. And Jones looked disappointed. Tim uh, Carter actually made a comment that he remembered this happening. And he noticed the wheels turning in Jones's head as he was looking around, wondering how he could convince more people. Hmm. So that's a a notable moment, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the concerned relatives start writing senators in Congress, and he, they get a hold of Leo Ryan in the process, as well as Jackie Spire, who is a U.S. representative of California at the time. Leo Ryan was a Democratic U.S. congressman who oversaw the 11th district in California, encompassing most of the Bay Area above Berkeley and Oakland. And he was a relentless seeker of publicity. He's an important person to note in this story. So he actually decided to plan a trip to Guyana to investigate Jones based on all of these allegations with the concerned relatives. And so many people tried to warn Ryan. A lot of the defectors warned him, like, you don't want to do it. Don't do it. This is a bad idea. But he went anyway, as they do. 
So on Tuesday, November 14th, 1978, Ryan, a handful of people from the media from NBC, and some of the concerned relatives go to Guyana, and they tried to get permission to enter Jonestown, but they were rejected by Jones. No surprise there. Uh, It took two days for them to get permission to enter, and even then, it was only allowing media and Ryan to enter. No concerned relatives were allowed to enter. So Temple members were told they were prepped for this visit, and Mm -hmm. they were told that Leo Ryan was part of the CIA and that everyone had to know what to say to him. They were all rehearsed with questions and answers. Some people took this as an opportunity to leave Jonestown. They saw how messed up things were getting, and they were like, this is my out. How do I get out? That's understandable. But Jones knew this was going to be a case, so what does he do? He threatens them, says he's going to kill them if they leave. Mm. Not a great place to be in. No. So on November 17th, Ryan and his people arrive at Jonestown. They talk to all of the different members around. Everyone's basically putting on a performance for them. Temple members told them that they love living there. They never wanted to leave. And even if they did want to leave, they had the freedom to go, which we know was definitely not the case. Right. That night, Jones puts on a performance of his people and his Jonestown has live music, dance, a whole to do. And Leo Ryan is asked to speak. After he speaks, everyone just starts cheering for him in a really creepy way, Mm. (laughs) literally lasting minutes and overly excited. Mm. Like it seemed weird and off. And Jackie Spire noted that it felt artificial. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just like an uproar, like, oh, yay, woo, and then done. Like literally for minutes, they were just roaring. Mm. Just it seems a little strange. Yeah. So during this big to-do, a guy named Vernon Gosney, he's in the documentary. You can hear his story in the documentary if you want to hear more about him. He passed a note to one of the NBC reporters, Don Harris, and asks for help in leaving Jonestown. And... The note gets to Leo Ryan, and at that moment, all the visitors knew that all these people were actually being held against their will. Mm -hmm. Leo Ryan spoke with Vernon and said that he had the first seats on the plane if he wanted to go. Vernon warns him, you have no idea what kind of danger you're in. you got to go now. But he couldn't. They were stuck there. They're stranded. It's part of the appeal for Jones. Sure. Yeah. Word spreads like wildfire at this point. The next morning, the day of November 18th. 1978, the day to remember. A group of people leave, head to Matthews Ridge, 30 miles through the jungle, knowing something bad is going to happen. They got out really early. Takes Jones a while to show up in the pavilion. After a few hours, people have been waiting for him to appear anxiously, felt weird in the area. Tim Carter noticed that Jones looked more off than normal. More and more people come forward saying they want to go. At this point, the energy in the arena begins to feel a bit chaotic, concerning. Emotion is skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are coming forward saying that they want to leave. So what happens? Jones gets pissed. He gets angry. Uh, Understandably, there's over 20 people at this point that want to leave. And it was decided that Congressman Ryan would stay behind to help with the family argument that was happening Mm -hmm. and that Spire would uh, take the first round of people out because it was too large of a group to do all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, So they had to kind of break it up a bit. And this is when things got real shady. So Larry Layton, I don't know if you remember him from our last conversation. Yeah. And he's one of the, he was one of the, 
like hardcore. Oh, he was super hardcore, hardcore believers. Yeah. Larry Layton was so hardcore that he had two women in his life that he let Jones have, both of them. Like, take my wife, please. Oh, here's another. Take my other <laughs> wife, please. Take them all. Take all the take wives. Take all the wives. Let so, me go get some more for you to take. Truly, that was his relationship with Jim Jones. Um, so Larry Layton was a very loyal, loyal person to Jim Jones, and all of the people at People's Temple knew that about Sure. Larry yeah, that was so not Larry a secret. Layton, no, only like the only people who didn't know that were the visitors, right? right? So Larry Layton then gets on the truck with all the people that are trying to leave. Which would and be to me, if I was one of the people trying to leave, would be a huge glaring danger. Will Robinson danger? It was. It exactly was that. And they told Jackie Spire, like they told her, like we don't trust him. He's a plant. Like mm-hmm. he's not. Yeah. He's not trying to leave. There's something not good is going to come of this. Like, they knew. Flashing red lights. Exit. Bye-bye. Let's go. Yeah, that's you, – you're totally right about that. So it was already not great. You could tell something bad was going to happen. And then, of course, nature rolls in mm. and says, yep, something bad's going to happen. And a storm just, like, rolls in and there's a wild downpour. Right. Tim Carter said, quote, evil blew into Jonestown, end <laughs> quote. I'm like, sir, it's been there. It didn't just roll in. Yeah. It's been. <laughs> so now, technically speaking, you get a lot of rain and a lot of dirt. You get a lot of mud. And oh, so yeah, absolutely. the truck can't leave. It got stuck in the mud. Sure. So all these people that are trying to escape and leave can't go anywhere. Aww. And they're just standing in this truck that's stuck in the mud, making it so much worse. Hope was diminishing. And then a guy named Don Sly was not super sly. I had to say it. It's really dumb, but I had to. Don Sly tries to attack Leo Ryan with a knife, saying, all right, motherfucker, you're going to die, end quote. Yikes. And a bunch of people jump on him and get the knife away from him, but in the process end up nicking Don Sly, and he bleeds onto Leo Ryan. So Uh. his shirt, Leo Ryan's shirt now has blood on it, but he was untouched. Leo Ryan is shaken. At this point, he is like, I am out. Get me out of here. And so he just leaves and gets on that truck. And he's like, nope, I'm leaving now. This is not a place for me. And what's interesting is Tim Carter, a lot of this uh, commentary comes from Tim Carter because he's still around. And he uh, was in the documentary and had a really interesting perspective. He actually noted right after he saw Don Sly go for Leo Ryan that this was the moment that, that he thought of his peaceful leader, Jones, as a murderer. Because mm-hmm. obviously the direction had to have come from Jones. Don sure. Sly wouldn't have just done that on his own. So the truck finally gets out of the mud and it leaves. And about 10 minutes after the truck leaves, a tractor full of armed men leaves Jonestown after the truck. Bad news bears. Yeah. So they're headed to Port Kaituma to the airbase. And two planes were needed to rescue the group of people there. Before getting on the planes, Leo Ryan gives one last interview. You can see it on the documentary that we talked about. Uh It's in our show notes as well. Um, They question Larry Layton. (laughs) They know that he's shady. And they actually even frisked him, thinking Uh he had a weapon on him. Uh He did. They just didn't find it. They never found his gun when they frisked him. Uh So then the tractor full of four to five temple members pulls up. And shots are fired. Mm. Ryan is hit. He's Mm -hmm. killed. 
Jackie Spire is hit in the leg and arm, ultimately shot five times. Mm. She's not dead, though. She just plays dead. Yeah, smart. Larry Layton shoots Vernon Gosney while they're sitting in one of the planes at close range twice. Mm. Mm. But Gosney survives, gets out, crawls into the bushes. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, five people were killed, including Ryan, members of the media, and one woman who was trying to escape from Jonestown. Mm. Others were wounded and escaped into the jungle. It was bad. Yeah. So the assassins get back on their tractor and head back to Jonestown. Upon their arrival, Jones knows the congressman is dead, and he knows it's time, but he didn't want to go alone. Mm-hmm. He told people, quote, this is our final stand. They are coming to attack us, end quote. Maria Katsaris, one of Jones' closest lieutenants, whispered something in his ear, to which he replied, is it supposed to be quick? She says, yes, it's supposed to be quick. He says, does it taste good? She says, yes, it tastes good. They were talking about the cyanide that was about to be mixed with the flavor aid in a vat. As a means of suicide, it would only work if cyanide was taken in the right dosage. It's definitely not the best way to go. No, it's not. It's really not. It's real bad. You ultimately die a long, slow death of suffocation. Um, Quote, the last minutes of a cyanide death are brutal, marked by convulsions, a desperate gasping for air, Mm -hmm. a rising bloody froth of vomit and saliva, Mm -hmm. and finally a blessed release into unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. End quote. The feeling in the pavilion was somber. And it seemed like people were starting to pick up on what was going on. Jones had, after all, hinted at this many times. Quote, the adults all seemed calm for people who knew they were about to die. End quote. Yeah. <sighs> at this time, off to the side, there were three plastic suitcases stuffed with cash. Mike Prokes, Mike Carter, and Tim Carter were given pistols and directions to bring the suitcases to the Soviet embassy in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Their direction was once they delivered the suitcases, they could live their lives, go off, do whatever they want. But if they got caught, they were to kill themselves. Yeah. Tim Carter was hesitant to leave his wife and child, Gloria and Malcolm. Malcolm was like one, one and a half. Mm-hmm. Especially knowing what was to come. And then there was the death tape. Mm-hmm. Jones began his final recording of him speaking to his people, what we now call the death tape. Mm -hmm. Trigger warning, child death and suicide to come. Just had to say that. Now is when we're going to talk about it. Jones made the formal announcement to the group that the congressman was dead and the Guyana Defense Force would be there momentarily. Now was the time. The Jonestown nurses appeared with syringes. Jones wanted the infants, toddlers, and older children to go first, saying, quote, they'll torture some of our children here, end quote, to hurry them along. As Jones was speaking to the crowd, someone asked him if John Victor, Gray Stone's son, would be spared from what they knew was coming. To Jones, taking the child's life was the only way that he could win, that if he were to go back, Grace and Tim Stone would have won, and to him, John Victor would be treated equally as everyone else. No one was given a choice of whether or not to participate. Parents who wanted to die with their children joined the kids in line. As Jones said, quote, who wants to go with their child has a right. I think it's humane, end quote. 
Well, that's, I mean, and that's also another way to ensure that parents would go through with it. If the kids go first and cyanide kills the children much quicker than it kills a full-grown adult. So Mm -hmm. the cyanide was killing the children within minutes. Um, and, And so at that point, any parent that was maybe even having second thoughts, your kid's dead, you're gonna... Go through with it. Why do you want to live if your kid's dead? Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, there's nothing humane about death by, by no, cyanide. No, no, no. There's not. There's, it's, I, you haven't heard the tapes, but, or the tape, the quote unquote death tape. I heard part of it. I wouldn't listen to the whole thing. Oh, I've listened to all 44 minutes of it. And you hear him, well, he's not the one that says it. It's one of the women says it like... It's bitter. They're crying because it's bitter, meaning the drink. And you hear, I mean, it's, it's, I don't recommend listening to all 44 minutes of it. It's brutal to listen to, but you hear children screaming, you hear them convulsing, you hear Mm -hmm. them, the commentary behind it. Like, it's just, it's horrifying. It is absolutely horrifying to listen to. It's awful. Like, they're... You and I actually have in my notes, like you, you can hear even yeah. in the documentary. Like I, I remember, because I, I read the book and I watched the documentary as well, and I have a couple other sources. But the book actually says that the audio didn't pick up the screams. It absolutely picked oh, up yeah. the screams. Well, it picks up crying and screams, but I think the point it's making is that the type of microphone he was using mm-hmm. didn't wouldn't. Have, it's why when you listen to the tape, it only sounds like there's. 20 to 30 people in a room when there's it you only know, 900. It, so close. Yeah. it only picks up people who are, are immediately close. So I think part of what it's saying is that we don't actually know how much sounds, how much, like, whatever we are hearing on that tape has to have been so much worse in yeah. person because we are hearing very little of the crying and screaming like a fraction of it i'm sure a fraction of it because again it's now it, it's you listen to it and if you didn't know it was a group of 900 plus people you'd be thinking oh this is in like a schoolhouse a church house somewhere with with again like maybe 30 people in it and listening to it with that in mind and realizing what's not being captured is mm-hmm. is it's it's just it is it is a really really hard thing to listen to and so, I mean if you're curious it's readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the documentaries on him play parts of it, but listening to the entire thing and and there's um, some stuff we can speak to later uh, afterwards. But there's some background audio that just adds to that gets cut out usually when it's it's aired on a documentary but it kind of just gives it this extra eerie quality. It's it's really really horrifying. Yeah. There's really no way to even describe it to be honest. Um like we can but it doesn't do it justice and that's something yeah. I remember like when I first was watching the documentary I'm going off on a slight tangent but when I was first was was watching it and heard part of the tapes like it just affected me in a different way. Like I could hear someone talk about the story or read a book about it. But when you actually hear the audio, it just is a whole other level yeah. of trauma, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of trauma, uh, Tim Carter, who we've been yeah. talking about, yeah, he saw his wife hold his child out to receive the syringe in his mm-hmm. mouth. And then Gloria received her own. And as they laid down on the ground, the child died. And Gloria was cradling her dead child, and Tim rushed over and held them until Gloria was gone too. Mm-hmm. And having 
hearing him tell that story. Yeah. Oof. It's heavy. Yeah. So, honestly, it's hard to talk about it. It's hard to research this. It's hard to write about it after reading and hearing about everything and just relaying the information. It's it's really tough. And Tim Carter watched all of it as it happened. He said, by that point, all the people in the pavilion were realizing that they were surrounded by these people with guns and that they only had two choices, fight and be held down and injected. I know that happened to some of them or else think my time is up and go ahead and take the poison. Marceline Jones, if you remember her, that was Jones's first wife. She cried out, you can't do this. But Jones knew her weakness, her children. And that's when he told her that her three sons, Tim, Stephen, and Jimmy, were in Georgetown, and they were all dead by then after Jones had radioed his commands. She didn't know, but they actually weren't dead. Mm -hmm. Um, But he told her that they were, and that left her with very little hope, to your point. Yeah. Tim Carter left his wife and child remembering, quote, I did not give a fuck about anything. I kept thinking, they murdered my son. But there was also a voice in my head saying, you cannot die. And I made the choice that day. I wanted to kill myself on the spot, but maybe I could tell what really happened, end quote. Mm -hmm. He rejoined his brother and Mike Prokes with the suitcases of money and headed out of Jonestown. Before they left, they ditched two of the larger suitcases, burying them and remembering where they were. By almost 6 p.m., all of the 300 children were dead, and it was the adults' turn. Adults lined up for their doses while armed guards found the elderly in their huts and gave them doses in bed. For the few that spoke up and tried to be spared, Jones said, lay down your life with dignity. Stop these hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialists or communists to die, end quote. The last words from Jones were documented on his death tape. Quote, we used to think this world was not our home. Well, it sure isn't. We said, we don't like the way the world is. He told someone on the side, take some. Take our life from us. We laid it down. We got tired. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of an inhumane world, end quote. And then the tape ended. Yep. What happened in Jonestown was murder. The next day, about 3 p.m., Leo Ryan and his gang were supposed to arrive back at Georgetown and meet the concerned relatives, but he never arrived. At about 7 p.m., still nobody was there. Jim Jones Jr., Tim, and Stephen show up frantically asking the concerned relatives what was going on in Georgetown, and no one had answers. But they knew something was up. The Jones brothers were hoping to get back to Jonestown before Jones did anything, as he had radioed them earlier in the day. They were uh, sent away from the U.S. Embassy when they approached for help because they were closed. It was a Saturday. At this point, there were about 50 temple members living at the Lamaha Gardens, where the Jones brothers and Sharon Amos were living, all of whom, except Amos and the brothers, had an idea or had no idea what was being planned in Jonestown. Sharon was risky, and the brothers knew to keep an eye on her, that she would do anything that Jones asked her to do. And Sharon, uh, they were worried that Sharon would take action in killing others and herself the second that she was given a sign from Jones. Mm -hmm. So when the Georgetown police officer arrived at their door asking if everything was all right, Sharon took it as a sign, grabbed her three children, 
Leon, 21, Krista, 11, and Martin, 10, and Stephanie Morgan, 11, into the bathroom with another adult temple member named Chuck and locked the door. She proceeded to slit their throats, then her own, as blood seeped from under the bathroom door. And by the time the Jones brothers arrived, everyone but Chuck and Stephanie were dead. But Stephanie was injured, her life being threatened by Chuck. She ended up being recovered by the Jones brothers, and Chuck was arrested. And she still has a scar on her throat to this day. Mm-hmm. By the next morning, the word got out of the first murder of a U.S. congressman engaged on official business in American history at the hands of a jungle church cult made up of U.S. citizens. The five people who escaped into the jungle were found and recovered. Mike Prokes and Tim and Mike Carter were found in the jungle and arrested and jailed with Larry Layton and later asked to identify the bodies at Jonestown. The Guyanese Defense Force then went to Jonestown to investigate, and there were bodies literally everywhere. The scene was absolutely horrific. People were laid out with arms around each other. It was hard to see the ground with how many bodies there were. All of the animals there were also dead, including Mr. Muggs, the chimp, who were all shot. I have to throw in here Hyacinth Thrash, Kim's favorite name, uh, was an elderly woman who was left for dead, but apparently was just napping, and they thought that she was given a poison, and so she woke up and literally just found all of these dead bodies around her, and she was super dehydrated and very confused wandering around when they found her. The bodies weren't in the best of conditions. Some had exploded. Some had protrusions from where they were forcibly injected by poison. And you have to remember, this is like a hot jungle. Like the the amount of time it would take for a body to disintegrate is much quicker than in a colder environment. And Jones was actually found in the middle of the pavilion, his stomach swollen and protruding from his shirt with a gunshot wound to his head. He couldn't even take the poison that all of the other people took. He chose to shoot himself and not suffer the the death that everybody else suffered. There's debate, too, if he shot himself or if somebody else shot him. Oh, really? Yeah. When they did the autopsies, like, because you can see there, you can, you can see his dead body if that's going to make you feel better. Um, and one of the pictures, it's, I want to say it's after the field autopsies. So they, because you can't bring rotting corpses like that and not that level and not in the middle of the jungle for proper autopsies. So they no. did what were called field autopsies. And, um, but the, the bodies were pretty degraded as to your yeah. point. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, uh, there's just, there, like, he shot himself. Maybe somebody else shot him. Uh, and you can kind of go down that rabbit hole, of mostly the Reddit hole of people the debating that. It's, I mean, let's face it. Anymore, it's a Reddit hole. Um, and, I mean, there's so many freaking conspiracy theories when it comes to Jonestown. Uh, like, that the CIA had a part of it. That Like, there's so much stuff that you could spend eons going through each thing. And whether or not some of the theories are true... Who knows? But uh, yeah, there there is is some debate as to whether or not he shot himself or somebody else shot him. And I mean, even if somebody else shot him under his own instruction, under being like, "Hey, shoot me," right? Um, no one would have done that without him. Without his, that. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's when I say that, I don't mean like he was trying to flee the scene and somebody shot him, but more just a like he didn't want to do it and somebody else did it for him. But at the end of the day, the end result was the same, so it's not right. really tomato, 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 tomato. So it's it's that's where I say there's not. I, I could go further into it, but what's the point? He, he totally. was still dead by the end of the day. Still dead. 
Um, so what I think is really interesting, too, is that the head count fluctuated. And so, like, initially they thought that there were only 383 people dead and then 408. Because they hadn't found the second layer. Or the third. Or the third. I'm sorry. It's not something that's funny. It's just so... Bonkers? Bonkers. That's like, mm-hmm. no, they eyeballed it and didn't realize that there was two other layers of dead under them. Yeah, and they thought that, like, the rest of the people that weren't dead had, like, escaped into the jungle somewhere, but they did not. Which the poor families, because oh, that gave them, when they first started reporting the numbers, they were like, well, there was a lot more than that there. Right. We might Our, have some hope. We might have some hope. And so yeah. that, to me, is just heartbreaking. Yeah, and what's even more heartbreaking is that most of the third layer of people that were found, those bodies, were mostly babies and young children and yeah. were in worse shape to, yeah. than anybody else. Uh, and a week after the tragedy, the final count ended up being 918. That number tends to fluctuate depending on where you see your source or what it's including. Is it including the people from Kaituma? Yeah, you know, some, or some include that separately, which at the end know. of the day, they were all... They're I mean, all dead. They're so all dead, yeah. I'm just going gonna, gonna to stick with 918 because my yeah. most reliable source said 918. Yeah. Um, I think identifying the bodies was probably the hardest part. 409 people were unidentified. Dental yeah. records were even spotty. Some of these people never even visited a dentist before. Um, well, and, and fingerprints, like... Were gone by then. They like, were gone, they were, yeah. Yeah, these people were fully... Yeah. Oh, de- no, the condition of the composed. bodies is appalling. And again, you can see pictures. If you would like to take a look at pictures... I don't know are, if we should post them. Oh, do not post that. That's no. where I say they are readily available. They are not yeah. hard to find at all. They are really hard to look at. Um, yeah. But they are readily available. If you are morbidly curious... You can find them with a very simple Google search. The end. Yep. We'll let you do your own due diligence on this one. Yeah. Or just look at our sources, you know, that you can do that too. Um, so also a lot of those unknowns, I think about 300 of them were children. Yeah. Um, which is, I think the children make it the hardest thing for me personally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Almost four dozen temple members uh, ended up remaining under house arrest after this at the Lamaha Gardens while the press started to swarm the vicinity while all of this started to unfold. People wanted answers. No one had any. The media was problematic, to say the least. Hmm. Um, The media attacked survivors for consecutive days, accusing them of being at fault, of being able to prevent what happened. Part of the plot. It was awful. These people were horribly traumatized and escaped with their lives, and now they're being accused of causing all of this or being able to prevent it. It's pretty messed up. And, like, you got to think about context here because this is a time that had no internet, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Reporters had to actively seek out sources. Mm-hmm. Who Which is knows? also why you also have a lot more incorrect sources then, right. too. Yeah. That's my point. You don't know the legitimacy yeah. of the source. Yeah. Or, like, is the information that you're getting accurate? Mm-hmm. Fact-checking was near impossible. So, you know, media is media. The mm-hmm. more outrageous and inflammatory the story, the more we want it. The more you want to publish it. And then where is the truth in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the um, publications said, quote, but the Jonestown deaths quickly became renowned not as a grandly defiant revolutionary gesture, but as the ultimate example of human gullibility, end quote. Mm -hmm. Politicians who worked with Jones in the past, I mentioned them in the last episode, 
all were like, who? Jones who? I don't want nothing to do with him. Um, They were quick to distance themselves from People's Temple and Jones. And most of the people who knew those in in People's Temple in the Bay Area, Los Angeles, Indianapolis, all of them said that they could see that things were off from the start. And then the telephone game ensued. (laughs) We know what that looks like. Yeah. So some reporters thought Jonestown was a free love settlement and asked Tim Carter right after he saw his wife and child die what his sex life was when he was there, which is so just gross and distasteful. And then there was the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Which is incorrect, but yeah. (laughs) Um, I have notes. It's Um, not. Actually. Actually. (laughs) Um, Actually. (laughs) Um, Actually. Kim has notes. I have notes. It was flavor aid. It was not flavor aid. Very different. Flavor aid was like the Kirkland signature brand. <laughs> God. It was though. It was yeah, the no, cheap it was. version it was of the, Kool-Aid. It, what is it? The the Hydrox cookie or whatever. Basically. But well, it's the Hydrox so, like, came first. I don't okay. know. It basically though was like taking a jokey catchphrase and like making fun of all of these yeah, deaths. But that's what we do. It's I mean, so I don't mean that. I don't mean that as like. But think about, like, how many horrible jokes, puns, references we make. Like, let's think back to a Do time you mean when me you and you or just like people. No, um, hi, I present to you with the dancing Judge Itos from the <laughs> OJ trial. Do you remember that? Vaguely on Jay Leno. Like, I don't remember that. No, actually, like no, I'm the about if it. if the glove don't fit, you must acquit, and how that became a punchline everywhere. I mean, like. We love to make light of tragedy. That's what we do. That's true. I think it's just like extra fucked up knowing that there were people that survived this. (laughs) And they have to be the ones to hear. Sure. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Um, But like look at all the Manson family stuff. I mean. Yeah. It's not a new phenomenon that we. No, it's not. We make jokes at people's expense and we make light of horrific tragedies. Um. For better or worse. That's true. (laughs) So this is a tidbit of information that I think is interesting um, from an investigative perspective. So once the FBI got a hold of evidence, evidence, they got a hold of hours and hours of tape recordings, as well as almost 60,000 printed pages of filed Mm -hmm. documents that Jones kept. Like, he had... So much evidence, like too much evidence. Um, And they went through all of it. And they also found a shit ton of money at Jonestown. And so like the other part of the shady shit story of Jonestown is the fact that it wasn't a taxed business because it's a church. It's a church. And it's a nonprofit. I don't know. It's just there's, yeah, whatever. He just basically took people's lives and money from them and then used it on himself and his Church. Yeah. Um, and then also invested $7 million in foreign banks, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and so FBI finds out about all this. And once the surviving temple members come into the U.S. by December, they all have their passports relieved of them. They no longer mm-hmm. can go anywhere. Become, mm-hmm. They start to get interviewed by the FBI. And then the FBI gets petty. And they're like, yo. Our FBI? Petty? Government. Technically, it's the petty? government. But also, government? Petty? Duh. Petty? 
They wanted reimbursement for literally yeah. every cent spent on anything having to do with people's temple, like mm-hmm. things like airlifting the bodies back to the U.S., costs that incurred during the identification process, mm-hmm. anything having to do with the investigation. They we wanted the their money back. We the worst. We the people are the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, there were about 80 survivors. And they do think they had money to pay them back? Absolutely not. No, they've been living in the jungle. Are you kidding me? And Jim Jones had all their their money. Yeah. So the government decides to take what was left of People's Temple in San Francisco. So anything that was left there is now the government's. And by December 6, 1979, People's Temple was fully dissolved and no longer existed. And the government took everything that they ever owned. (sighs) Not surprising. Um, so let's talk aftermath. Who was to blame? Somebody had to have seen this coming, right? So someone's to blame. You got to point a finger somewhere. So then there's the ultimate finger pointing game between Guyana and the U.S. State Department and the FBI. Who did it? You did it? Who did it? Who done it? Who's fault? Who's a fault? I'm a fault. You're a fault. I'm not. Nope. I deflect. Like, that's literally <laughs> what happened between them. Guyana was like, if Jones is so bad, why didn't his own government do something to stop him before he even got here? Yeah, he we don't, we, we don't so take bad. ownership of this dude. He came from your country. <laughs> Basically. And so what do you think the U.S. says? U.S. citizens have the right to worship as they please, even if that included following a lunatic living in the jungle. <laughs> like, I mean... I know it's like it's tough to argue it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> we elected Donald Trump as our president. Oh, such an interesting topic to bring up. We're gonna get back into that. In I, know, I know. Sorry. Spoiler alert. But, spoiler. But, not I a mean, spoiler. If you've had your eyes open in the last, I don't know, decade, you know what's coming. Um, but yeah, everyone wanted to look the other way simultaneously, ultimately. And they all wanted to point fingers at the people that were left. So they pointed fingers at Larry Layton and Chuck Beekman. Chuck was the guy who was going to slit the throat of the words. I can't talk. You know what I'm trying to say. I know what you're trying to say. Slit some throats. Slit some throats. So those are the two worst dudes who still stood imprisoned in Guyana. And the problem was that by U.S. law, America had no jurisdiction over any of the killings that were Mm. committed in Guyana other than that of Leo Ryan. And Leighton and Beekman did not kill him. They had nothing to do with his death. His assassins were already dead. So technically, they could not be charged under U.S. law. So Chuck was ultimately tried for involvement in Sharon Amos's killing of her kids and Mm. was sentenced to five years Mm. uh, and then returned to Indiana and died in 2001. Damn. Larry Layton, our friend Larry with the ladies, Larry. Um, was acquitted for murder. And uh, as the people he shot never actually died, they were just injured. Uh, <laughs> That's and the he, worst technicality. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, they're still breathing, so you're good. I mean, I guess, I guess then it's attempted murder, but like, <laughs> but he like, was acquitted. Oh, God. And he was never ch- accused of killing Leo Ryan, so he was oh, let go. It's awful. It's just ridiculous. It's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just <laughs> like, are you effing kidding me? But also, like, I think what's so fucked up about this whole thing is that while all of it is shocking, none of it is surprising. Yeah. No, it's it's like it's shocking, but also it's not. Which sucks. <laughs> so Which bad. sucks. I don't like it. I don't like it. I feel like in in bringing up a voice that maybe sucked less, <laughs> um, acknowledging Christine Miller. 
who was a member of the People's Temple. But she is, and and if you don't feel like listening to the tapes that are excruciatingly disturbing, you can read transcripts of the tapes. Yeah. And Christine Miller is the person who, we don't actually know how long she debated with Jones about what what was going to happen, what was happening, because mm-hmm. there's moments multiple times throughout the entire thing. We don't know how long exactly the death tapes. Like, it's about 44 minutes long, mm-hmm. but at multiple times throughout it, it's paused. So there's mm. chunks, because he would do that. He would, if he, he would, would some, pause it and then he would pause it, it. Sometimes he would even backtrack if there was something on the tape he didn't want and he would erase over it. But we don't think that's what he did here, but you can definitely, you hear it in the recordings. You hear times where it abruptly cuts um and and picks up where you're like wait there was something there uh which is again led to some computer which again has led to some conspiracy theories but you hear it multiple times in his conversation with uh with um christine miller so she is the one that initially, and you can see this in the transcript, um, she she brings up when Jones is going on one of his his rants about like, we must kill everyone and kill ourselves and kill the children. And I'm sorry, again, that sounds very flippant. That is not my intention. But she steps up and says, is it too late for Russia? Speaking oh, yes. specifically to to uh, leaving for Russia. And mm-hmm. they go back and forth. He's like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And and um, she's trying to kind of like, I think, talk him down a little bit. Like he's saying, you know, oh, you know how many people left? And she's like, well, 20, 20, 20 odd, you know? And yep. he's like, uh. And she's like, that's, that's a that's very- That's not that many. That's not that many. So um, they go back and forth again for, for quite a long time. And, and she says- I said, I'm not ready to die, but I know, and then it gets kind of unintelligible. And he says, I don't think you are. I don't think you are. And she says, but uh, I look about at the babies and I think they deserve to live, you know? And he says, I, I agree, but they, but they also, they deserve much more. They deserve peace. And she says, we all came here for peace. Um, and he goes into this whole whole long thing about you know oh this is what we came here for blah 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 but she is the only one who you really hear outside of some people in the background and again at one point Marceline mm-hmm. who essentially she's standing up to him and she's getting flack from the crowd and she like the exchange between the two of them goes on again for for quite a while and we don't know with the amount of times he stopped the tape we don't actually know how long it really could have been right. going on and i i just i feel like it it should be acknowledged that what that also tells us is she's the one that is recorded but we don't know who else may have stood up and also tried to speak Especially if he's been pausing that tape. Especially if he's been, and you you hear the pauses. You hear the pauses, and a lot of the transcripts even. And here's one of the things that that has been argued 
is people think because you hear these pauses, and they are, again, extremely noticeable, they think because you're hearing these pauses that we are being given an edited tape, that the FBI, the CIA, whomever, Mm -hmm. has a more complete recording of this, or that it's possible this was not from that day and this was pieced together. And I'm like, it's way too specific. He he full-on says in it, like, I know that the senator is being killed. Don't ask me why. I know I'm a prophet. I know these things. I'm a mighty, mighty prophet. And then, oh, yes, we have confirmation the senator has been killed. No, that is too... It was obviously recorded that day. That, to me, there's no way you could question that. But... Right. And this is where I come back to, um, when you listen to the tape, when you listen to the unedited tape, meaning not something that's been produced for a documentary where they cut this out, Mm -hmm. throughout the entire thing, you hear this really eerie organ music. Oh, really? It is legitimately creepy. And the first time I listened to the tape, I was like, what the hell is that? And you you look it up and you see conspiracy theories again about like, oh, somebody's playing the organ. Sure. Um, <laughs> that's not a conspiracy <laughs> theory. That's a musician. No, but this idea that there's like this little old lady upstairs who's just practicing the organ the whole time and like, do, 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 do. All these people are dying and she's just playing the organ. No. It's um, like Titanic. You have to have the... Exactly. They, they the go down with the ship. to go down. Well, but that's what makes it extra creepy is once the tape finally cuts off and you don't hear anything, which you're not hearing anything because everybody is dead... But you still hear for the a organ? good like minute or so this really distorted organ music. And it's hella, hella, hella messed up. It is bonkers and weird and creepy. Well, Jim Jones was known to reuse his tapes. And what happens when you record over something? You have the ghosting. You have the ghost of, I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's, it's what they call it. Like, yeah. and so he had played over, he had taped over a tape of, of music. Oh. And the reason I've gone on this long, long thing about this, I swear there is an actual, like, I read a whole article that was breaking down the tapes at one point, And one of the things it spoke to was it's how you know that things weren't edited. He's pausing he the tape, on, yeah. but you can still, but the organ music stays consistent throughout. And so when he's pausing, nothing's being recorded over. So it's your And proof. when he's unpausing, it's going back. And so they're, they're looking at it as proof as to how you could. Now, again, you can still debate this. I, this was one person's opinion. I, it was, I don't remember the article. I'll have to see if I can find it. It was a while ago I read it, but it was, if it was an audio engineer or somebody speaking to this, but it was really, really interesting how they were explaining away. This is why we're hearing what we're hearing. And this is how it went down. And, and you can see pictures of his audio setup too. And how like he was known to pause when he, he wanted, again, he wants control, control. narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a really long tangent. I was no, not it was quite a really to relevant, go that far. great tangent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad there was one person who was sticking out for people because the government sure as hell wasn't, and yeah. neither was Jim Jones. Um, but um, let's talk survivors for a second. So, mm-hmm. for the others who were a part of People's Temple who survived, everyone struggled with assimilation and judgment, people's trauma. It was just so bad. Like, you can only imagine, like, mental health and state of mental health of these people was not great. Some of them still met violent ends, either by suicide or murder on individual basis, while others just tried to live their lives. 
And every November 18th, survivors of the quote-unquote family bound by loss and suffering meet at the Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland for memorial services. And there's actually a monument that was placed there marking the mass grave with everyone's names on it who died that day in Guyana, including Jim Jones. And the survivors of the group are left with the trauma that we were talking about and somehow find pride in the sincerity of their efforts to provide help and support to others how everything started, fighting racial injustice and hoping to make the world a better place. And it's just really unfortunate that what people remember is Guyana and Mm -hmm. the mass suicide and not the good that was brought in early on. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jim Jones Jr. said, quote, what I'd say about People's Temple is we failed, but damn, we tried, end quote. Stephen and Jim Jones Jr., who went by James for many years because he didn't want to be referred to as Jim Jones. Don't blame him. Uh, Yep. Uh, They have their own families now and their own lives now and both speak openly about Jonestown and in that documentary I mentioned as well. Jackie Spire survived. She actually made a commitment to spend her life in public service and continue Congressman Ryan's legacy as a congresswoman in Ryan's district. And she's actually, I think she only recently... Retired, but was elected in 2008. As, oh, wow. Yeah, she's she's been doing doing the good good deed for uh, Leo Ryan ever since. Mm. And <clears throat> we'll come back to her in a moment. But I just wanted to talk about a specific word that makes me think of Jim Jones, and that is demagogue. And this is a quote: Jim Jones was a demagogue who ultimately betrayed his followers, whether he always intended to or not. Demagogues recruit by uniting a disenchanted element against an enemy, then promising to use religion or politics or a combination of the two to bring about rightful change. Those as gifted as Jim Jones use actual rather than imagined injustices as their initial lure. The racism, the economic disparity in America that Jones cited was, and those things are still real to this day. And then he exaggerated the threat until followers lost any sense of perspective. And the line of reality and false perception becomes blurred. And with the perfect storm of fear and loyalty, a cult is born. Mm -hmm. Survivor Leslie Wagner Wilson, she was one of the few who escaped Jonestown the morning of November 18th into the jungle. She said that there are many lessons to be learned about Jonestown. This is a quote directly from her. I look at the world today, I look at the environment that we're in, and I see this parallel, and I look at how People's Temple began. It began in a time when there was a socio-political change, but it was also based on fear. We are in the same type of environment, if not worse, that could generate something much, much more dangerous than Jonestown. It could happen again. She said that in 2018. (laughs) That's when the documentary was released. So much shit has hit the fan since uh-huh. 2018, and so much more has divided us since then to make our environment even more vulnerable to something like this happening again. We've seen it politically in the last few years, and the effects of divisiveness in beliefs, in science, in public health. It almost feels like a, like not an if, but a when situation. Which brings me to who this reminds us of today. Who is it? Kid. Who is it? Tim, can you guess? Who am is I talking it? about? Lassie. It's not Lassie. Lassie's a cool pup. Lassie. Oh, Lassie's fine. Lassie's chill. We're not talking She's about Lassie. She's got you fooled. 
Kim No. Who are we talking about? Who? (laughs) Obama. No, Kim. (laughs) Is it is it the man named Donald J. Trump? Yes, that's the one. Not Lassie or Obama. (laughs) Definitely not Obama. My cat. It's definitely my cat. Maybe Tilly. It might be Tilly. Tilly yeah. could fit the profile. Oh, um, but ultimately, we're talking about Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. And I went down a rabbit hole on <sighs> this and truly <laughs> just had my pants blown off with that information <laughs> that I found. So in a Forbes article published in August of 2021, this last year, Representative Jackie Spire Democrat, California, compared former President Donald Trump to the cult leader Jim Jones, <laughs> telling Ouch. CNN's Brian Stelter that, quote, there is no question that you could compare the two men as merchants of deceit. Also both very bloated. Dude, I'm sorry. Jackie <laughs> survived Jonestown and she is the one that is saying this. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, if it's, like, straight from the horse's mouth. She even said that Republican supporters of the former president were displaying cult-like behavior. Quote, you look at Donald Trump, a charismatic leader who was able to continue to talk in terms that appealed to those who were disaffected, disillusioned, and who were looking for something, much like those who became a part of Jim Jones' congregation, the People's Temple. They were lost souls, and the only difference between Jim Jones and Donald Trump is the fact that we now have social media. So all these people can find themselves in ways that they couldn't find themselves before. End quote. But you know who can't find themselves on Twitter? (laughs) Donald Trump. Donald Trump. (laughs) He got banned. He got banned. Um, But it's just more dangerous now. Like, I think what's extra wild is that... um, On CNN, so she actually said that Jones, like Trump, quote, made people not look at facts, not think independently, and sowed a story for them that was so destructive. And another person said something similar, Anthony Scaramucci. Um, he was a former White House communications director. I remember Scaramucci. You remember him? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Speaking of Twitter, (laughs) he tweeted in 2018 saying, quote, it's like a hostage crisis inside the White House and the hostages have Stockholm Syndrome. Donald Trump as Reverend Jim Jones, when will it break? End quote. He straight up tweeted that. Like, that's bonkers. And then the other thing that's extra wild when I was going down this rabbit hole is there is a specific website, I'll put it in our show notes, that the Jonestown, uh, it's like a Jonestown website run by the People's Temple members that have survived. And it's a great source of information. And there is a full-blown article about how Jim Jones and Donald Trump were the same, basically. Um, and one of the yeah. things that really stood out to me when I read that article was that um, one of the people, the main person who wrote it, who is a survivor, said that before January 6th, before the insurrection – that they noticed Donald Trump's behavior and that it seemed familiar and that they thought that something bad was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then January 6th happened. And it's literally just like things are unfolding in front of us. 
that are identical to the way that things unfolded in people's temple. And it's a dangerous place to be. And as an outsider watching it or knowing people that have that same thought process, it's like you cannot get through to them. It's the brainwash aspect. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. It's And there's a few other theories. I know that you had mentioned that there's a handful of theories, maybe Reddit theories, but also one of the theories I read about that I thought was really interesting, there's this one dude named Philip G. Zimbardo. He's a PhD psychology professor at Stanford and actually studied the psychology behind Jonestown and Jim Jones for 25 years. And he compared Jim Jones to George Orwell. And or not to George Orwell, but to George Orwell's thought process to his world, in yeah. 1984 specifically, and like hypothesized, keyword hypothesized. <sighs> There's no evidence, evidence, evidence to prove that like I don't know Jim Jones was reading 1984 and took all his ideas from it. But there are a lot of parallels between sure. that book and what happened in People's Temple. So that's another fun fact, but. Ultimately, I think, um, you know, there's no proof that Jones actually studied Orwell. We could see the parallels there. Sure. Jim Jones is probably the most charismatic cult leader in modern times in terms of his personal appeal, oratory, sexual appeal, and his just sheer dynamism and his total participation in the control of every member of his group. People are particularly vulnerable when they're in new surroundings, feeling lonely or disconnected, and that's exactly the position that Jones put his people in. That's the position that Trump put people in. That's the position that Scientology puts people in, potentially. Honestly, there are so many examples of how this has happened in taking advantage of the quote-unquote power of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Just, I think what we can do is ultimately understand how this happened and prevent it from happening in the future by educating people and knowing what to look for and speaking your mind, having opinions. Don't blindly follow people. Have facts, right? Like, check your sources. Legitimacy. You are more optimistic than I. Uh, All of this has happened before and it will happen again. And the irony of that is the, the phrase that was behind Jim Jones on his chair when he said, don't repeat the past. It's just like... Full circle. Those who study cults maintain that psychologists need to study how cults abuse social psychology research, too. I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. And psychologists are also needed to develop effective treatments for cult victims. That's definitely an opportunity as well. And to help them break free from a cult's influence before it's too late so that Jonestown doesn't happen again. So that is Jonestown and People's Temple. And Jim Jones, and let's, fingies crossed, not let it happen again. There are a handful of conspiracy theories that are associated with Jonestown. I am not going to get into all of them right now because time and also It's the time. Reddit hole. It, it, it will have a whole other episode if we just talk about conspiracy theories. Oh, absolutely, theories. yeah. So... We'll just leave you with that. If you would like to hear conspiracy theories of Jonestown, we may do a Patreon specialized in Mm. conspiracy theories on Jonestown. Stay tuned. And this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim. What you watching? 
Uh, I, I, I will say I have been making full use of the fact that um, Shudder has been releasing all these really fantastic folk horror films. So I've been watching a bunch of nice, pretty epic folk horror. But I watched something uh, the other day called I Blame Society, huh. which uh, was, you know, it's it's meant to be like kind of a... a satirical very like cutting satirical film um essentially about a, a, a filmmaker and, and the woman who made the film stars in the film and it's it's a fairly low budget film but it's very very effective as a low budget film and she's this aspiring filmmaker playing an aspiring filmmaker named her name and uh <laughs> how creative how very creative but she um like she has these friends who are telling her like you know you could you could totally be a murderer or whatever mm-hmm. and so how they she would make a good murderer oh so nice. she tries it oh okay sure <laughs> and the whole thing like it's and i i may have identified with her a little bit too much cuz oh, like no. she no like she's not a good person she's just killing all these people but it's really quite delightful and quite funny and and <laughs> awful but uh again really awful at times but i really liked it um it's not a long watch too it's it was i don't even think it was a full 90 minutes so it's it's if you're looking for something that's kind of like a little bit nasty a little bit uh definitely satirical horror where you're just like oh i kind of can't believe you went there but you did it's it is definitely worth a watch it's streaming on on shutter and uh there was a great moment where because she starts just filming her entire life and she's talking to these two like really obnoxious studio execs these like both white males and they're like you know we're just you know we want to be we want to feature these things with with strong female leads and like you know breastfeeding in public and like these you know <laughs> these like heart like it's it just it just kind of goes there and i i was very pleasantly surprised i had i had not really heard of it i saw it pop up on shutter and i was like yeah sure this looks kind of entertaining and i really really enjoyed it so i nice. i would uh i would say it's worth a worth a check out that seems so up your alley it was absolutely it was a film tailor made for kim nice that's awesome. I'm what so glad that you're able to find that. Oh, yeah. um, I have been watching Euphoria because there's a new season out of Euphoria mm. right now. And ooh, buddy, this season is real wild. Um, have you watched it at all? Do you know yeah. anything about it? I mean, I'm familiar with the show, but I've not watched it, no. It's, it's very good. Um, I think one of my favorite things about the show is the way it's shot. Mm -hmm. Um, it's beautiful. It literally looks like just an aesthetic dream. Um, the art and the creativity behind it is just stunning and it puts you in moods. Like I, the whole thing revolves around a young girl's drug addict or drug addiction, um, and her friends and relationships. I think it's funny that it's like a classic case of a bunch of 20 somethings playing teenagers. Oh yeah. Um, but just the environment being a very dark, dark environment that they go through that other people look at as not at all being that, but then you see past what people think they are. Um, and it's 
heavy. It's there's some very, very heavy moments. Um, but then there's also some like very light, very funny moments. Um, it's well balanced, very well mm. done and absolutely stunning from a visual perspective. Um, I really, really appreciate that show. And it's very just well written. Um, every episode seems to have kind of a different focused person uh, this season. So you get to know characters a little bit better. Um, but seeing the trauma that someone's going through detoxing mm. real wild. Um, that's, that's one thing. Um, I also had to watch something light and stupid with everything else that I watch and read because balance is key in life. Um, and I've been watching love is blind season two. I'm really excited about it. Oh, it's one of those <laughs> shitty Netflix dating shows, but it's like, these people can't see each other and they are trying to marry each other and can't like see each other until they get proposed to by another person and then have to marry them. And like you have the time from like they meet without seeing each other until the day of the wedding to decide if you want, if they want to actually go through with it. And Ooh, it is so dramatic and dumb, but I also just really love it. And I'm really (laughs) upset that they didn't release all the episodes. So I could only watch four of them. And now I have to wait like, Two more days to watch the rest of the season. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Catching Killers on Netflix is also a great show. And guess what episode one is focused on? Your friend. BTK? BTK! Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute, I have a couple friends. who Which which friend? BTK, that's right. <laughs> My favorite part of watching that is that when I was watching it with Terrence, every time it would show a letter from him, <laughs> it would be like, oh, it's from Kim. Or, oh, that's the letter he wrote, Kim. <laughs> like one the whole letter. Time. I got one letter from him. That's... I know, but it was just so <laughs> funny to like be watching something and have a letter from BTK, and every time we saw, oh, it's Kim's. Like, it's just, it was a nice way to Wretched handwriting. But yeah, that's what I've been watching. A nice little sandwich of like <laughs> crimey things and uh, dumb reality TV. Dumb um, reality TV. You know what to expect with me now. So it is what it is. <laughs> so having said that, thank you for listening and for buckling up with us on this Jonestown journey um, for this two-parter episode um, and a slight detour from what we normally talk about. But Uh, Having said that, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. Listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends. Our social meds are all over our website, which is ghoulishtendencies.com. Find us wherever you want to find us. Truly, it's easy to find us. Um, Also, Patreon is a thing. So we will be releasing new things on Patreon coming soon. Um, So stay tuned there. And if you like what you hear from us, Give us a little shout out, a little rating, a little review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. So having said that, thank you so much for listening and stay Stay.